0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Vagabond Actors. I am Andrea Helene. I am talking with you from Mallorca, Spain. And joining me, as always, my wonderful compatriots, Gary Condes in London. Hello, Gary. Hello, Andrea. And Brian Casp from Prague. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Hi, Brian. It's good. How are you, boys, you, you gentlemen?
1: Oh, boys. I, I it, may, it warms my heart when you call me a boy. It matches with how I feel I am.
0: Oh, I like that. Yeah. So before we get into this scoop this week, let's talk about um, some of the things that you've been engaging in in your creative life. Anything you'd like to share? What's been going on with you? Uh,
1: I, I bought... Okay, so I put together my sound booth this week. My ad hoc sound booth. Is that the one you posted um, the photo of? I posted it on Instagram, a photo of it. It's a blanket (laughs) thrown over a coat rack uh, with wheels on it and then some PVC pipe that is... (laughs) It's, so the PVC pipe, I bolted parts of it together for easy disassembly. And so I have a construction like that that is duct taped to the coat rack. And then I throw some blankets over that. And um, I don't think it isolates the sound as well as I had hoped it would. But it, it's a cool story. So I, that's one thing that I experienced this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and a very cool <laughs> photo. You pipe. have to check it out. Yeah.
1: It was a cool photo, and then the other thing that I experienced this week was I did a self tape for a kind of docudrama style piece, and I thought there was a guy that I know here who was probably going to be someone that was good to read with. He had some life experience that matched up with this docudrama, and so I thought I'm going to have him read with me, and so I called him up. It was an improvisation, and they gave us a, a scenario, and we did it, and it was okay, and I felt like oh, I'm not really right for this part. And then as I was about to start processing my tape, I looked at the email that I got from my agent again, and actually I had done the wrong scenario. And so, yeah, but I had time because it was Sunday night and the tape was due Monday at 11. And so I had time to do another tape Monday morning. And so I wrote to my friend and I said, "Oh my God, I've done this wrong scenario and and here's the scenario that we're supposed to do." And he luckily had the time and he wrote back and he said, "Wait a minute, I think I know this guy who this docudrama is about. And so he actually ended up getting in touch with the guy who the docudrama was about and talking to him, and getting all kinds of insight into the scenario that we were supposed to do because it was all, you know, kind of real life. And so, wow. The next morning we went and did the other scenario and he really gave me some insight. Now subsequently I I'm pretty sure I didn't book that job. Uh I didn't end up being right for it or whatever, but it was such a cool experience. It's such a mm-hmm. it's a, such a fun experience to share something with someone and then have, you know, my my friend got excited and I got excited and and there was all kinds of connections made and it was just a cool kind of experience.
0: Very yeah. cool. Isn't that funny how things work? Cool. <laughs> Gary, what about you? What have you been up to this week? Um,
2: Well, I started with getting some ideas down for either a film or a play. I wasn't sure because in the first lockdown, I had all these grand illusions of writing something, but then things got pretty busy with work, luckily, and teaching that it never really happened and I never was in the right headspace. But when I went away in the summer in that staycation, there was a lot of time to sort of, you know, sit on the beach and just sort of relax and, and plug out of work. And I started to get these ideas and I started to think a lot about my father who passed away about six years ago. And I just started to jot down some random thoughts and ideas. With the idea of either doing a play or a film, I wasn't sure. I wasn't really concerned about that, but it was definitely dialogue being written and fragments here and there. So it's leaning towards a film, but um, you know, I started from this premise. I had this image of him because I was in a restaurant. I had this image of him. My father was a restaurateur, Spanish, so you know there was only going to be a handful of jobs that he was going to do over here, and he ended up doing uh, being a restaurateur and. He was always in a, in a tux and dressed up, and even though he ran restaurants and he was the owner of one when I was a kid, there's this sort of noble image I always have of him as being at the front door and greeting people. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it kind of started from that. So I started to get some ideas down to start to write a story. It was a bit difficult, but then it was kind of quite nice to um, reconnect with the old fella again.
1: Oh, mm. that's really sweet that's great mm.
2: yeah so that that's what i've been up to
0: that's lovely Good
2: but it's for tough. You. writing is tough yeah. i mean i you know i, yes. I kind of know why i don't do it regularly um <laughs> but the discipline of that and then so I'm, I'm just not putting any pressure on myself to do anything uh-huh. with it i'm just kind of like going you know what let's see what starts to come out and uh i'm putting myself the only discipline i'm doing is giving myself time over to it maybe in a couple of hours so let's see
1: you know, Gary, there's a book actually that I have, I really enjoy working through the exercises. It's called The Coffee Break Screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Where it, do you know it? No, I don't. No, I'm writing it down. Me too. Where it breaks down the process of writing a screenplay from conception through to final revisions into 10 minute segments. And it's, pretty cool. cool. It's worth checking out because it's fairly open, but it ge- it lets you look at the material in various different ways and then provides a, a structure for getting your uh, screenplay down into a structure. So I've, I've actually done one outline based on what the exercises are, and I've just started a second one. What's it called again? The Coffee? It's called The Coffee Break Screenwriter, and it's by Pilar Alessandro. And she actually has a podcast called On the Page.
2: Cool. So Coffee it, break it, screenwriter.
1: Yeah. And it's very practical. I, I like the practical guides. I don't, I don't respond very well to like grand statements.
2: Yeah. You know. <laughs> it, it sounds, it sounds good actually. It sounds kind of um sort of step by step because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm reading, which is really great, but it's so dense. The Anatomy of Story by John Truby. Yes. It's fantastic, but it is dense and it is, mm-hmm. there's lots of strands in there. So this probably mm-hmm. seems a little bit more up my street, right? Yeah,
1: it's really, it's really nice for what I would consider myself as, is the casual screenwriter who is going to, uh, who I'm like, I don't want to spend an hour doing this right now. I've got a <laughs> life. Yeah. I'm doing something else with my life, but I do want to write a screenplay. So I'll take it in 10 minute segments. So it's good. Mm. Cool. Uh, what about you, Andrea? What do, so what have you been up to?
0: I have been introducing some people to one another who I think have some shared interests here on the island, and that's always fun for me. I'm also doing some work on furthering this association that I've helped to co-found uh, called I Can. It's a casting and acting network, and we have arrangements with Cast Upload, which is one of the online casting services. And working with the Mallorca Film Commission and really creating a place where actors who live and work out of the Balearic Islands in Spain have a place to be seen more easily. And that association, we will be sponsoring events throughout the year, and that's exciting to do some planning along those lines and i um, also working on planning for some children's classes i hope or teen classes we'll see what people are asking for mm-hmm. i keep getting little birdies whispering in my ear about some needs so i'll have to see if, you know i'll have to see what we can do about that
1: that sounds really cool busy bee
0: busy bee yes that's me
1: This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now, look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code Vagabond25. So, just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put vagabond25 in the box, and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. So a question that came up in class, which was, well, how do I memorize all these lines? And I thought it would be a good question to dig into, to give our tips and our tricks for working on learning lines. So I have mine. I have my favorites. Do you guys have favorite ways of learning lines?
2: I know it's a drag, no matter how you slice it, but... It is a drag, whichever way you slice. it, And it's probably the most or the least fun thing that an actor gets to do. And I've tried many various ways of doing it over the years. It's funny because it's the one thing a, a lot of actors ask around a lot about because there's so many actors don't feel that they've got the right way of learning lines yet or they could at least improve it. I don't know if you've come across that. But I've definitely fought that in myself. So does that mean you've changed things over the years or you do you keep changing ways of doing it? Or have you stuck solidly to one way of doing it, which we'll talk about in a sec um, what those are. But yeah, I think I went through a,
1: a period where I was really feeling not good about learning lines. And I was actually on set with someone and asked how he did it. And he showed me his method. And I I will share it with you guys, but I don't want to I don't want to spoil it.
2: <laughs> Spoil it how? By saying it prematurely because I, because you were in the middle of talking. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. Um, I mean, one thing that I've started out learning lines when I first started out acting, I didn't really have a system, which had become more sophisticated. There are apps out there now, and there are psychometric or psychological systems which allow people to be informed about what is most suited to them. But um, I first started out learning lines just by rote, just learning them over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, and just keep saying them and kept saying them, and hopefully they would stick. That was hard work. And because I didn't have any other frame of reference uh, or any other way of doing it, I I didn't know that it was hard work, but it felt like hard work. And eventually I I kind of started to inquire how other people learnt theirs. And through experience of being on the job, particularly plays early on, I did a lot of plays early on before I even got into film and TV. And there's a lot more dialogue there. Always what stuck me was Mark Rylance, um, who's a fantastic British actor Mm -hmm. who ran the Globe Theatre for a long time was the original artistic director there and is more recently over the last sort of decade gone into films. He says that he doesn't learn lines. He learns the intentions behind the lines, which if he does diligently and works with for a certain amount of time, then the lines come to him naturally because he's understanding the meaning behind them or the subtext behind them, and they are easier for him to stick. And I kind of agree with that. I kind of spend a lot of time with the script in my hand, and I don't mean necessarily in theatre rehearsals, but before I even get on set or into the theatre rehearsals, I work out the intentions behind the lines and start to play around with that. So almost semi-rehearsing, reading off the paper, off the page, taking it off the page. And in that way, the lines start to become absorbed and stick because I understand why I'm saying them. So from going from having a no technique, just learning them by rote and just hoping that they would stick... I now spend a lot of time working out what's going on, breaking down the scene like we've talked about in past episodes. You see, when you start to ask questions about what my objective and what 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 intentions are, you are doing two things, or I am at least. I am one, answering the questions that I'm asking about the technical aspects of what is it that I want and what are my intentions and what's going on here and what's just happened and all the rest of it. In the process of answering those questions, I'm penetrating the text. I'm spending time with the text and I'm learning them without the force of learning them, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely a very
1: respectable way to do it. (laughs) I mean, it's a very grown-up way to do it, I think. <laughs> Andrea, do you have a different take on it? Or, or? No,
0: I don't have a different take on it. People? I mean, I think it depends on the situation. I very much agree with Gary that if you can understand why something's being said and you can understand the flow of the conversation and you can look at it the way we've talked about looking at it and understand what you're doing with the things, then you're doing the emotional work of learning the lines, you know? And this is really important. Now, that's presuming that you have some some reasonable amount of time to go at it that way. But I think even when you've got an audition the next day and you've got five pages, this in essence is what I aim to do. I worry not so much about is it the or a... Uh, and more about, do I understand what I'm doing with this thing? And what's my take on it and why I'm saying something and what the choice of the language means for my character, et cetera, et cetera. And the more I think about the why and the how I'm saying something as indications for me about what's really going on in the scene, then at the same time, I'm memorizing the words. Beyond an idea, I'm committing an action to memory. And so then it really can flow most easily, in my opinion. There's a couple other things. I mean, I think sometimes when it's really, really, you know, you understand the piece, you understand the flow of it, and then it's just meaty beyond all, you know, it's just like grade A intense, then you do have to get down to a certain kind of repetition. Some people like to do the, you know, reading one line at at a time, right? You read the one line out loud, you close your eyes, you give it back. Then you add the second line and then you do the two lines and then you go back and you add the third line. You know, Some people like to do something like this where you're building it up and in the act of saying it out loud, you're, you're bringing it into your brain a certain kind of way. Other people are highly visual and they really need to see it on the page over and over again. You know, We laugh about actors and highlighters, but honestly, it helps me so much if my lines are highlighted. Because there's something, there's a visual connection there for me. And even the act of doing the highlighting, if I'm reading it and studying it as I'm highlighting it, rather than sort of like, oh, let me find all of Gertrude's lines and just go and highlight them. No, if, I, if when the moment I take the highlighter, I am really reading and I'm really thinking about what's being said, it's another way of bringing it in closer to me recently I had a really meaty piece and um, somehow I was, I was a little worried about the struggle of getting all the lines down. So I think I Googled, you know, like other techniques or approaches to doing it. And I read this crazy idea and I thought, you know, I'm just going to give this a try. And it was, it was interesting. So I'll share it. Oh,
1: I'm I'm excited to hear.
0: (laughs) Somebody suggested without a lot of rationale behind it, Quote unquote science behind it, somebody suggested to take the first letter of each word in the sentence and the line and to write it in the left-hand margin. So, right, if the line is recording in progress, it's I'm writing R-I-P and just writing the first letter of everything. And then as I'm reviewing for myself how well I know the lines. I'm looking at those letters and the letter alone is jogging my brain to think of what that next word should be. And that was strangely helpful for me. I think because there were certain keywords where I knew what the idea was behind it, but there was a very specific word which had been selected and it helped me to identify that for myself and go, oh yeah, there's, there's a really clear reason why it's P it's progress. It was a really strange thing on the face of it, but for a phase of my learning of the lines, it did help me. So I think, you know, you have to look at how much time you have, understand what kind of a learner you are. Are you a kinetic learner where you need to put it in your body? You know, you need to dance through it as you're going over the lines. Are you a really oral listener? I know Jeff Goldblum loves to for as long as I've known him, he loves to tape record the lines and then listen to them over and over and over again. I tend not to like to do that because then I'm listening to a way that I've recorded them and I'm not sure that I want to put that into my brain, you know? So I think you have to identify a couple of key components and then choose the approach that works best for you under those conditions.
2: I think that's very important, finding out how your brain works if you can and what kind of learner are you. That's certainly something I didn't tackle when I first started out. I just assumed you just had to spend a lot of time going over them and saying them aloud. But yeah, some people do take them. And I went through a yeah. period of spending like the first week committing everything down to tape and all the other dialogue that I would respond to in my scenes and you know listening to them while I was shaving or listening to them while I was falling asleep because somewhere I read that you know when you're falling asleep um, and leave it on and leave the earphones on and because there's that subliminal thing where they can get into the lines can mm-hmm. get into your brain so. I don't know Mm -hmm. how true that is, but you know, I always (laughs) fell asleep after about two or three (laughs) lines. So (laughs) I don't know, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's try them out and see what works because there Mm -hmm. are many ways to do it. And it really Mm -hmm. is a very personal thing.
0: I was just watching an episode of Jane the Virgin today, in fact, and this is not a show I normally watch, but she had this big reveal in the arc of the series. So she's, talking to two other characters in the kitchen. And of course, she is just on this crazy stream of consciousness, talking to them, rolling around all the ideas. She's all over the map emotionally. I'm watching it, and it was all shot in one take. And she's the only one speaking for probably six, seven, eight minutes, which is a long time in TV land. And she's all over the map, and it's a comedic piece but she's really activizing, what, we, what Brian and I call activizing. She's giving a physical energy and life to the ideas that she has. So she's using her full body to express herself really clearly and, and having a certain amount of fun with it. But I suspect that the physicalization that she gave over to had a lot to do with how this thing came together. Because it was quite a feat.
2: So what do you do, Brian?
0: Well,
1: you know, w- when you're in a Meisner class and you start to talk about how to memorize things and how to work on text that's given to you in a way that's going to make you free, mm-hmm. you come across this one concept where you write out all of your text. Yeah as one run-on sentence. Mm -hmm. So you'll write all of your text out with no punctuation, with no capital letters, and then you start to learn it, as they say, by rote, which is basically not putting on any kind of intonation that might be associated with how the meaning of the scene would be going. And this is a very time-consuming way of learning lines. And I was sticking to it for a while and finding that when I got an audition, I would show up not having done it enough to be at the audition and feel comfortable with the amount of lines that I had in my head. And it was really throwing me. And so I started with this technique of writing out my lines. And I actually still do that, where I write out all of my lines and I go through it as if it's one monologue. And I try at the beginning, at least, to not put any specific intonation into it as if I'm answering someone that I'm not hearing. Mm -hmm. But eventually it starts to get into some kind of rhythm. So that's one of the techniques that I started with and to a certain extent hold on to. And usually I will use that when I have larger chunks of text that I need to learn. So if I have a 10 sentences in a row and then the other character says one word and then I have another 10 or 20 sentences, then I'm going to probably use that kind of technique because there's not a lot of back and forth. I don't have to really account for the other person's lines. And I need to do it by the numbers. I I figured out that if I take that sheet of paper where I've written out my lines and I read it, I can read the first five off the page. I don't have to worry about memorizing it, but I, I can read it. And if after each time I go through that text from the scene, I make a little mark on my page and I have to do at least 50 of them in order for me to feel comfortable about what I've done. Because I get in a situation where there's the pressure and there's the moment and there's this glass eye that's watching me and, and I just corpse on it. I go up. I don't know what I'm supposed to say or what it is. And that really tends to throw me off. I agree with your assessment, Gary, that probably if I spend more time with the meaning and getting into it, then that would help. And I went through a period of maybe five years ago where I was really feeling unstable doing texts that I didn't have inside of me. And it wasn't necessarily because I didn't know the moments, it's because when I want to say... Um, kill instead of murder. And maybe your technique, Andrea, of writing the first letter and learning the Mm -hmm. first letter would help with that. Mm
0: -hmm. But when I
1: wanted to put a synonym in, that kind of threw me because I knew it was wrong and I knew I was moving off in the wrong direction. And I focused on that instead of the moment and kind of tensed up. And so through trial and error, I know that if I spend a few hours with that text and go through it and mark my script because, and I have to mark it because after about eight, maybe 12 times through, I'm sure I've done 50. I'm sure Mm. I've gone through it 50 times after 12 times. Cause I, cause I go, I really know this. I really feel comfortable with it. And I need to go through it way past the point where I go, oh, I know this in order to really know it when it comes to the pressure of an audition or being on set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the techniques that I use. Mm-hmm. And the other technique, I do use an app for running lines. And mm-hmm. the particular one that I use is called Line Learner, and it's on iOS and it's on Android. And you record your lines and you record the other person's lines. And it has various settings where it will run through the scene you can have it play your lines and then leave a gap for the same amount of time as your line takes because it, you've recorded it. It knows how long that line is. So it will leave a gap for you to say it and then it will play the next person's line. Interesting. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really useful. Usually I start on that setting and then I'll reset it to not play my line and leave a gap, but just leave a gap. And I'm just basically running lines with myself. Mm -hmm. And I found that the two techniques in combination really set me up for really being solid on my lines. Mm -hmm. The technique where you basically say all of your lines as if they're a monologue, I was running into the problem where I would show up at the audition and I'd never really heard the other lines being said. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the reader is not giving them to you in a way that is conducive to you really hearing them. (laughs) And so... And I've actually learned a lot through being able to listen to those other lines being said and, fi- and feeling, what am I responding to mm-hmm. that hits my line out of me?
0: Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Maybe I would do it if I was just looking at them, but there's connections that I've made when I hear it. And maybe it's for me being an auditory person Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm ready to hear the reader say those lines and kind of I'm primed for my response.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I think that's been really useful. And also because I spend so much of my time traveling from place to place you know, or kind of downtime or in a cafe or whatever. Like you said, Gary, it's when you're brushing your teeth. It's in my phone. I carry it with me all the time on the tram or waiting for wherever I'm going. I can have it with me constantly running it if Mm -hmm. I need to be.
0: I wanted to ask you guys about theatrical productions, doing theater. I tend to learn my lines throughout the rehearsal process. Because being on my feet, taking the notes in my paper about, you know, the blocking and the ideas and what I need to do, this is all part of what's helping me understand the piece and put behavior to it and then learn the lines through the doing. Recently, I was involved in a theater production that's not going forward, given the current situation. But the director asked all of us to have our lines memorized before the first rehearsal. And I said, you know, just so you know, I'm going to have to have my script in my hand. Most likely I'll do all of my work as best I can before we start, but I'm probably going to have to have the script in hand because this is a really important part of how I get it into my brain. So I wonder, have you been involved in productions like that where the expectation was to show up with everything memorized in in a whole theater piece? And if so, how did you handle it?
2: It's changed throughout the years from experience. But when I first started out, I would want to go as a blank canvas and think about it, but expect for it to all come together during rehearsals in a collaborative nature and wanting to do it all together. And therefore, while I wouldn't learn any lines until I'd done the scene with mm-hmm. the director and the other actor so then I get a sense of what's going on and where to hang my hat and have have an understanding of it Mm -hmm. and this was this young romantic notion of collaborative work where uh, (laughs) we get all the answers which does work (laughs) and does happen at times but not all the time but then I also found that I would run out of time and wouldn't have them down so well so I got to a point where I started to, in my sort of late 20s, I just started to learn lines before I even got there day one. If I had the time, which is probably anything from two weeks onwards, so anything, sometimes I'd got it. i get a job six weeks before, two months before, a month before. If I knew with that length of time, I would go with mm-hmm. all my lines learned, and with some kind of interpretation mm-hmm. at the fundamental level of a scene mm-hmm. meaning i knew what i wanted i knew what i was doing i had some ideas about characterization and the hows, but hadn't implemented them and i had my lines down mm-hmm. and some people were shocked cuz like they'd still have their hands in their scripts until like tech run and and mm-hmm. and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. that's that's a little concerning yeah it is (laughs) but um i got to a stage where i'd have all my lines down and i could still adjust but that's the point people think they can't adjust and it's like well Mm -hmm. once you get a technique that you understand you should be able to adjust yes and i wasn't setting anything i was just able to come into a scene knowing what i wanted from the other person what the scene was about and have my lines down picking up on what brian said earlier about the degree of learning one's lines so many actors and i've experienced this and I get it in class and, you know, as you say, Brian, you you think you know it and then you get in front of the camera and all of a sudden it, it just slips away is actors often know their lines at a conversational cafe coffee table type energy, where because they're sitting down and nothing else is acting upon them, they can just say their lines very nicely and casually. But once the demands of a scene and the dynamic of a dramatic scene or a comedic scene act on you, the lines just go all over the place. Yeah. So one way of dealing with that is do something active. So once Mm -hmm. I'd got my lines down, I'd like say them with some partner or a scene partner while making dinner or Mm -hmm. shaving or whatever. So. Yeah you got an activity right you got a bit of an activity so that's
0: very um, helpful i find it's very helpful
2: yeah i had a teacher who, who used to say okay you don't know your lines well enough because there was still a bit of a lag there was still a bit of going inside mm-hmm. to try and grab hold of them so he could notice and so what he'd do it stop the rehearsal it stop the scene class and he'd go okay see that broom handle juggle it on the end of your finger without dropping it while saying the lines so mm-hmm. my concentration would be on keeping the broomstick on the end of my finger upright and not letting it drop while I was saying my lines. He says, now you know your line. Learning your lines is being able to say them back to front, standing up while you're doing something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. we're often doing that in in our acting, (laughs) you know. Another thing that you can do in relation
1: to that kind of physical activity is you can kind of set yourself a rhythm to say them in. And this is also good for breaking any kind of learned pattern or intonation, mm-hmm. which is if you say one word per step, if you're walking somewhere, mm-hmm. you can do that. And then you'll you'll know when you don't know what the next word is, because your pace falters, your your walking falters. And then if you get used to that, you can say two words every step or one word every two steps, or you can play around with the way that you say your lines such that you keep yourself kind of off guard and it's a real test it's a real testament to you actually knowing them when you know it can come out
2: mm-hmm. yeah that is useful saying it really really quick but without stumbling so still articulating right. it but I mean, that right. yeah. classic exactly. speed runs have you ever done speed runs in theater mm-hmm. where you people just sit around the whole car sit around and just say the lines very quickly because yeah it ingrains it in you so that's yeah useful. yeah i'd just like to address this issue about learning lines by rote and, um, you know, just like the Meisner stare that we discussed in the monologue episode, I certainly learnt to learn lines by rote in a Meisner class, what you were talking about earlier. And I understand why it was done and why it's done, but I've got a bit of a theory and I've heard a couple of things about this. But yeah. what I was taught in Meisner class, and I think this is as the equivalent. Of the Meisner stare in line learning, Um,
0: I can't wait. This
2: is line line fucking. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Line fucking instead of instead of eye fucking. No, not quite. Not quite. It was in order to, you know, in search of the truth and in search of mainly the organic thing. And it comes from a really good place and it can and has worked in one sense. Writing out all your lines in one monologue as opposed to dialogue and cutting out the other person's dialogue so that you have to really listen when the other partner speaks. The whole idea of writing a monologue of all of your lines and putting them together without punctuation is so that you don't get into line readings. Mm -hmm. And that's a good idea in theory. However, the problem I found and I found in watching others is that by discarding the punctuation, you can do some damage because, as we talked about in the digging into text episodes, see, I've mentioned two episodes here that we've done You're in the doing pod. very well, Gary. Yeah, Thank you very excellent. Much. If you guys haven't listened to the monologue episode or the digging into text episode, do it. Do it. Yes, um, pause this episode and go and listen to those. <laughs> But as we pointed out in the digging into text, punctuation, when you're dealing with a good writer, can really help to get meaning, to understand uh, a way of playing it, and even create behavior. So when you're learning lines by rote in a way that you strip away the punctuation, I was getting actors on stage who should be asking questions, and they weren't, Mm -hmm. because they'd learned it in that way. The very thing that they were trying to combat, which was... Having line readings or stopping it from being mechanical and staid was defeated because it then became a kind of splurge that although it had a, a kind of real sense to it, the lack of punctuation in it didn't give it any nuance.
0: I totally hear what you're saying. Now, I'm going to just give you the perspective of how we use that technique in my years at Playhouse West to just shed a little light on that as a tool. At Playhouse, the, be- the beginning work is really the exercises, it's the repetition, it's the exercises, it's finding meaning and depth, urgency, difficulty, understanding the rhythms of scenes through the improvisational exercise. When we get into the intermediate work and we move towards emotional preparation and we do the first scenes, This rote learning, as you describe it, is one of several possible ways to go about rehearsing a scene. And it is challenging for students to do. It's really challenging for them to do this well. Uh, When you have two actors who've only learned their own lines and they've written them out this way, right? And they've read the scene through a couple of times so that they know what the idea is of the scene. They get a sense of what their point of view is. And then they've just gone about Memorizing it without any attachment to punctuation, to when a sentence or an idea begins or ends. And without paying attention to, you're right, what the pinch is, what that, what that prompt is from your partner. But the intention of that, you're right, it, it is to detach them from ideas of the scene. Because now you've spent all of this time trying to get them to function in a really healthy way as an actor, to be spontaneous and present and to be thinking on your feet and to be using what exists and not making crap up because you've tried to get rid of that habit that exists in a lot of actors when they first start that work, where they're trying to create things or put things on. And so the last thing you want to do with a student actor at this stage, when they first get scenes, finally, is to move them into doing it the way, the way they would have done it before they ever started the miser work. <laughs> Like, because that will happen. They'll go right back into, oh, great, we finally have a scene, and I know how I'm going to do this thing. It keeps some distance there. It keeps them guessing when they prepare to scene this way. It keeps them having to listen and having, when you hear something that jiggles you and you know you've got something that fits with that, that expresses your own point of view, um, you come in with that. And so, Yes, they may be talking on top of each other. It may look really messy, but it does help them as a tool at that stage. And there's a couple other ways of rehearsing that we include with that. And then when you get to the advanced stage, then we're really doing the kind of work that we did in our Text episode, three-parter, go listen to it. Really breaking it down in a very specific way, because now we've got students who've gone through the intermediate work, which is the emotional preparation, the understanding of scenes... Being able to identify solid rehearsal techniques, how to use the improvisational exercise as a rehearsal tool. And then as we move them through that, then they're ready to just sort of sit down and really with a fine, fine tool, take a look at how the the writing has come together. So in my experience, it's been used as a tool at a certain stage of the work. That's the best way we've put it to use.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and it's very useful in that sense. And, it, and just like with the repetition exercise, it's really getting people to understand that line readings, uh, you know, there is more to what the word suggests or what the emotional connotations that you think the playwright is suggesting. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to lean on those. And I think absolutely there is a utility to instilling that in someone. And, and, mm-hmm. but just like with the Meisner stare, if it's not developed, <laughs> <laughs> there can be a hangover. And I think there's a difference as well when you
1: are working on a tool in the classroom and when you are taking it out into more of a result-oriented mm-hmm. environment. Because really taking the time to explore what the scene is when you're working with someone that's really listening to you, even though you can do this without some the other person really listening to you. Right. You can really be exploring them, but you might also have a casting director going, hey, speed it up, you know, Mm -hmm. pick it up. We got to get through this scene. You know what I'm saying? So there is a time and place for that kind of work, which is incredibly freeing. And like I, in my own personal experience with getting a text into my brain mm-hmm. and into my mouth, mm-hmm. that I usually start with that. Even today, I usually start with writing it out and getting a flow going. And then I'll start to actually be saying these words and responding to what the other person's doing, because that practically sets me up better for what I'm practically going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Also, I just wanted to mention, and by the way, Gary, you were afraid that we wouldn't have enough to talk about with Learning Lines. Look at us. We're 45 minutes in.
2: You um, get so much out of Learning Lines, the topic well, of Learning Lines.
1: Yeah. Um, and I just I just wanted to mention that uh, a friend of mine who was teaching acting here in Prague, just because you guys have mentioned the physicality of how pe- some people might learn lines and, mm-hmm. and, and incorporating a physicality into that as a way to reference it. Because really what we're talking about when we're learning lines, when memorizing anything is... The way you memorize is your brain links it up to other things mm-hmm. so that you have an idea of like this word is related to this word and that and that's related to this other word and that's why it's easier to learn lines after you've blocked a scene because then you have the physicality of being in a certain space when you say that group of words. Mm-hmm. So this other teacher used to have a technique where he would have students assign a movement a specific movement to each word. Mm. Mm -hmm. and so the performance of the monologue actually became almost like a a kind of a dance Mm -hmm. and that was a technique that i sometimes employ when i have a passage maybe that's difficult to kind of remember the order of it I, i might physicalize each section of that and i can remember the physical movements and then that and then the words follow that so that's just another way of experimenting with with words yeah it
2: sounds like the more effort you try and learn lines the least likely they are to go in in one sense and i think these are really little ways to sort of relax into something or have you know it's not about not having your attention on them but it's trying to get them in an, in an easiest and effortless way right. possible
1: well there's people too because you have people that are on shows where they have to memorize lines every day right soap acting and Soap acting is a huge, is a huge uh, example of that. But even, you know, Gillian Anderson on the X-Files was talking about how she was really struggling with learning lines on the Mm X-Files. And because it's so technical and because it's so, there's so much exposition that you have to get through and, and they might start to feel like, every episode is kind of the same thing and you don't really know what it is anyway. I think maybe even on Star Trek, it was like that.
2: Yeah. I can Um, imagine that's tough. It's like, remember about corporate, corporate gigs where you had to do global speak and
1: yeah no it's it's it can be ridiculous yeah but i think that so another way to get better at learning lines is to just practice learning lines and we've talked about doing self-tape challenges and things like that so if you did two self-tapes a week where you had to learn a a scene or or several scenes you know several times a week you get better at learning lines Mm. because you're just doing more of it I know actors who struggle to learn, you know, three sentences of a monologue. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe I at one point would have struggled with that as well. But now it doesn't feel like very much because you're looking at learning six pages or eight pages in 48 hours. You know, it's like, so three lines doesn't seem like that much now anymore. But that's not because I'm some brilliant line learner. It's because I've worked on it. And not even to the extent that someone who, you know, has to memorize a, three scenes a day is, you know, you listen to any actor that's really a regular on a show. And Gary, you, I'm sure you've worked with people like this where they shoot for 12 hours and then they have to go home and they have two hours of line learning for the next day to
2: do. Right. And they are brilliant at learning lines because they've mm-hmm. done it.
1: They do it every day.
2: By hook or by crook for men. for. for, for, for <laughs> Time, that's yeah, right. it's a it's a muscle, isn't it? I mean, it's the mm-hmm. old cliche, but it's a muscle, and yes. the more you do it, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So that's it about learning lines. But Gary, have you seen anything or read anything that you want to share with the listeners this week?
2: Um, yeah, we've been kind of trawling through Netflix and Amazon because I think we've mentioned before that there's not a, as much content as there was before lockdown uh, started back in March. Christ, we're in November now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Eight months. Yeah. So been searching for things and there is plenty of stuff still that I haven't seen, but not a lot of it grabs my attention. But one thing I haven't, hadn't seen yet, I'd seen the play, but I hadn't seen the TV series was Angels in America. By mm-hmm. Tony Kushner. Mm-hmm. And what's refreshing about this is because it is a fantasia. It's, I love the stylistic elements to it. That is something that I don't normally gravitate towards. And, it, it, you know, such great actors, Al Pacino, Meryl Streep, uh, Emma Thompson. It's set in the 80s, 85, and yes, the backdrop of the AIDS epidemic. But it's just, it's intense, but it's full of humanity and humour And even though I'd seen it on stage, the sort of quicksilver element of cinema, it really does lift it. And it's so absorbing and heartbreaking. And one minute you're like in tears because, you know, someone's dying of AIDS and it's cruel and it's... It's terrible. but then the next minute, there's, you know, there's angels coming down from the skies and there's lots of jokes and it's camped up and you've got Al Pacino, you know, chewing the furniture and as usual, <laughs> and it's just, uh, it is an opera- operatic TV. So I recommend that for something, maybe it's not light, but it's all the food groups are represented. Let me put it that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. What about you, Andrea? What have you seen or read or experienced this week that you want to share? Do you have something?
0: Oh, I saw the US election. That was very dramatic. That was a four-day uh mini-series and uh it was really I extraordinary. Election. I did, <laughs> I did, the US election. Yeah. That was crazy. Do, um I mean if you watch that again, just you know, get your snacks lined up. Uh other than that, so I saw some of Love Actually. Isn't that funny? We go from Angels in America to Love Actually. But that's the kind of podcast <laughs> this really? is. You know what? There are some really lovely performances in there that I look at again and again, and there are just some great moments that have always stuck with me. And I, in particular, always love this scene with Emma Thompson when she realizes... Oh, that the Christmas present she thought she was getting went to somebody else. It's just a really beautiful scene to watch her reaction. So mm. it's considered sort of lighter Christmas time fair, but if you haven't seen it, check it out because they're like I said, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, Uh, Liam Neeson, there's some very nice moments in there to be to be found. Laura Linney has some really sweet things, too. So uh, I recommend it. Great. So this week, actually,
1: last night, I listened to the Mark Maron podcast, WTF, and he was interviewing Frank Langella. And he, Frank Langella was saying so many things that I was just like, that is right on. From From the standpoint of what we talk about at Vagabond Actors, and, and I think how our sensibility in terms of acting, I mean, Frank Langella was just nailing it and talking about his process and the way he looks at acting. And there was just some really, really great moments, some great stories. So I would just highly recommend listening to the WTF podcast with Mark Maron and the latest episode, which was Frank Langella. So so go and take a listen to that and and then let us know how you you felt about it. If you guys out there in uh, Vagabond actor land have your own ways that you learn lines that you want to share with us, we would love to hear how you do it. If you have other topics or questions that you'd like to have us dig into, we really, really would. I know I say this every episode, but Really, truly, we would like to hear your questions and challenges and dig into them on the show. So don't be afraid. Get in touch at Fagabond Actors on Instagram and Twitter. And we have a Facebook page. You can leave questions there as well. But if you want to get in touch with us uh, individually with Gary, it is his website. Gary. That's right. Thanks very much. What is it? It's it's garycondes.com. Is that
2: right? That is absolutely right. Thanks very much for uh, for for doing doing the legwork on that one.
1: You're welcome. I, I, you wanted to uh, mix it up. And Andrea is on Instagram and on Twitter at, let me see if I can remember. Uh, it's at Andrea Helene 3 on one of them and at Andrea underscore Helene on another. Oh, you're brilliant. You good. know,
0: your line memorizing is coming along really well. This was good. It's really good. Isn't yeah. It? Uh, and, uh, and I
1: am, what am I? Well, your email. You, I know your email. Don't tell my email. I
0: know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <am I> Twitter? <laughs> I am at Brian Brian on Twitter and Instagram. It's very easy. Very easy. I try not to make it so hard. So please get in touch with us, like and follow and uh, share this with your friends. Um, And uh, we've got some exciting podcasts coming up in the future. We hope you uh, join us next week for one of them. And we hope you stay safe and uh, enjoy your time with enjoy your time on the world. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm saying anymore.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Thank That's it. Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe. Stay, stay safe. safe. Enjoy your time with all your loved ones in lockdown. That's right. That's right. Okay.
1: Good night.
0: Good night. Bye.